and welcome to the Trauma and Mental Health Reports podcast series. We aim to share stories and knowledge on topics related to trauma and mental health community. My name is Abigail Ramos, and I would like to welcome our guest for today's episode, Sherry Moran. Today, we'll be discussing medical assistance in dying, or MAID for short, for the sole purpose of mental illness in Canada. Let's get into today's conversation. Hi, Sherry. I think we're going to get right into the podcast. We have lots of things to talk about. So can you tell us a little bit about what MAID is for the sole purpose of mental illness and what kind of uh, what the eligibility criteria will be for these individuals looking to take part of this? Well, something that most people are not aware of is that the eligibility criteria set out in the law are the same for all applicants, whether or not the applicant's death is reasonably foreseeable. They first have to meet some basic criteria, be eligible for public health services, be at least 18 years old and capable of making decisions about their health, make a voluntary request for MAID, not pressured by anyone, and give informed consent to receive MAID after having been informed of the means means available to relieve their suffering, including palliative care. And there's a medical eligibility criterion whereby they have to have a grievous and irremediable medical condition. I'll chat more about that in a minute. The notable difference in our law is that there are more rigorous safeguards to be met where death is not reasonably foreseeable. We refer to those as track two cases as opposed to terminal cases, which are track one. So, For those whose sole underlying medical condition is a mental disorder, which is what we're looking at today, the law expressly excludes them from eligibility until March of next year. And at that time, they will be able to apply for MAID and must meet the same eligibility criteria noted for all others, along with the more stringent safeguards for all other Track 2 cases. So the mental illness as the sole underlying uh, condition is considered track two because your natural death is not reasonably foreseeable. So I just wanted to to highlight grievous near-remediable condition because that applies to mental illness debate. It's a person who has a serious and incurable illness, disease, or disability, is in an advanced state of irreversible decline in capability, And that illness or decline causes them enduring physical or psychological suffering that's intolerable to them and that can't be relieved under conditions that they consider acceptable. So we are talking about people with a serious illness and a state of declining capability and intolerable suffering. So you have to keep that in mind for everybody applying for MAID. And this will apply to those with mental illness beginning in March of 2024. Uh, awesome. Thank you so much. It's That was the perfect foundation to kind of jump right into the debate that's been going on. Uh, so would you be able to kind of provide us a general overview about the positives and negatives that people in the community have been discussing regarding made for mental illness? Yes. I'm going to start by saying that those who support made for mental illness know that it would be limited to patients with chronic or severe mental illness who have tried many treatments, drugs, therapy, electroshock, etc. over a long period of time, but nothing's worked to alleviate their suffering, which has become or remains intolerable. And those who do not support MAID for mental illness include, include the usual cast of anti-MAID critics who don't like MAID for any reason, 
uh, but also psychiatrists and psychologists who truly believe that mental illness is never incurable, never irremediable. And if the patient simply waits a bit longer, uh, a cure will be found. And I think you know that I'm involved in an informal group that was put together last fall to provide advice to the CEO of Dying with Dignity Canada. She specifically wanted advice on the expert panel on maiden illness report, which they tabled in May of 2022. And our group includes people with a mental illness, those with a family member suffering from a mental illness and a retired psychiatrist. And a couple of our members got involved because of a family member who commits suicide as maid was not available to them. So I know we're gonna to touch on suicide uh, later. The reaction of our group to the recent extension of the exclusion on maiden mental illness, because it was it was supposed to end this March and the government put in a bill, uh, I think it actually tabled this year, but it went straight through the House and the Senate to push it back for another year so that, that more standards and, and protocols and guidelines could be put in place. Um, and the reaction of our group to that extension was telling. Uh, our members were very disappointed mm -hmm. and uh, they see their, their agency as people with mental illnesses as being totally ignored by the government. And they see the government as once again, kicking the can down the road to, to quote one of our members. And they're quite concerned that the, the, um, uh, the extension of the exclusion of mental illness for one more year could be one more year again and one more year. They've lost they've lost faith in the government on this, which is really too bad. And the one member who I truly believe will qualify for MAID, he has chronic PTSD and severe depression. He's been in the public, he's been interviewed many times, very fragile in his 80s now. And he has tried every single treatment you can imagine over three decades. And he's he's been really suffering. And he said publicly that this delay and the possibility of another review and then another delay forces me to consider suicide. Mm -hmm. And suicide, unfortunately, means dying alone and often violently. Yeah. And so I think that what's important here um, is that you actually have, um, and I think that I believe that you're vocal about how you've had lived experience with mental illness. And so what is your opinion on the debate that has and is still occurring right right now regarding this topic? Well, I'll, I'll first self-identify, yes, as somebody with uh, recurring depression for over 30 years, and I have managed to effectively treat it with drugs and therapy about every year and a half or two years something triggers me and I go over the cliff into a real deep well of of depression but I managed to work with my psychiatrist to get myself back on track within a month or two so I consider myself fortunate um, and I often say that if if what I go through in those that month and a half if I went through that every day every month every year for years, uh, I I would be that person suffering intolerably. But you're right, based on my lived experience, um, I find the debate on this topic has been overblown and misleading by many who have instilled fear among the general public by suggesting their children uh, who have a mental health crisis because of a relationship breakup or something like that, because those kinds of things happen to 
those crises happen to all of us at different points in our life. And and uh, the naysayers against maiden mental illness have basically suggested that those those people suffering those crises would be able to apply for and receive MAID. And this would never happen. There is no instant MAID for those in crisis. Practitioners are already aware of the complexities involved in other Track 2 cases, and they know this is going to be the case even more so with mental illness. Many have recognized uh, and said that they will often go over. There's a Track 2 safeguard requiring a 90-day waiting period from the beginning of the MAID assessment to provision, and, and the practitioners are saying they'll be going over those for mental illness in some cases because there are so many questions to be answered to, to ensure that the person is eligible. So. Right. I think you even mentioned, you just mentioned fear. And I think that's where a lot of this stems from is fear, not knowing um, how the process is, for example. And so I, I do want to talk about the process of MAID. So how does it work? How strict will it be? Um, I think that's another area of, of concern is how strict it, it will be. So will it be more difficult to be accepted into MAID? Will it be uh, not? Will it be more loose? Um, so can you just talk about uh, the process and its its structure? Uh, yeah. Um... All the indications are from practitioners, from the government and their standards uh, to date and the expert panel, et cetera, are that uh, it will be a rigorous process, but they, not to the point of saying you have to have so many treatments of this type uh, and it has to be, you have to be diagnosed and, and pass, you know, so many months or years, et cetera, before you can be considered eligible. They have to meet the eligibility criteria I mentioned earlier. And in, in interpreting and applying that, practitioners will really be looking at cases on an individual basis because you can use this in almost any context, but somebody's intolerable suffering, everybody's will differ. Some people can deal with, they're incredibly resilient, regardless of physical or psychological or existential pain. Mm -hmm. And other people are not, it flattens them. So they really, the, the process won't be overly strict or rigid, but the safeguards are rigorous and, and, uh, uh, they have to do it over a period of time, and I. But they will do it looking at the each individual. Of course, and I so hope that's somewhat helpful. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It it does sound like we do need safeguards, obviously. And I I know for me personally, I'm glad that we are we are going to have a very strong safeguards in place when it comes to this process. And I also want to acknowledge that many individuals do have loved ones, they have families and they have friends. So when a loved one dies by suicide, how do families respond to the death? What are some of the impacts and outcomes they face as made for mental illness is not an option? And how can made for mental illness change these outcomes? Uh, yeah, my experience, uh, both with a family member years before made and, and in listening to uh, a couple of members in our little group who had a family member uh, take their own life um, is that families respond badly to suicide. And as I mentioned earlier, the patient's dying alone. You can't be with them or you could be charged with assisted suicide. And they know that. So they have to be alone and they often die violently because no one is, is uh, 
uh, is giving them a couple of pills to take, you know, there it it can be you can you can picture the kinds of suicides that are violent, and contrast that with a maid death where you're surrounded by your loved ones, yeah. and you're receiving medication that essentially puts you to sleep, albeit forever. I uh, you know everybody I know who has experienced a maid death in their family, it's a good death, and uh, it's. Uh, you know, you're giving agency to the, the patient, the applicant. Mm -hmm. um, if they've got their family on side, sometimes they don't. Those are the ones that hit the paper, but it is the individual patient's decision and not the families. But uh, most of the time, the families are with them. And it really is a, a very kind and dignified and lovely goodbye. So, yeah, I see a big difference between suicide. Alone and often violent says it for me. I think that's important. The the goodbye, I think, is very important for people, um, especially when they're going through something like mental illness. I think a goodbye is is beneficial for everyone. And so I think a lot of families, um, I know for me and my own family, I'd be concerned. Um, so how do we know that the individual won't improve in another two or three years or another treatment will come out and they might not, they might improve on that one as well. So do you believe that more research should be done? Do you believe that the decision to move forward with made for mental illness is the right decision? Oh, absolutely. I believe it's time to move forward. The main practitioners that I know will proceed cautiously and with compassion as they do now for track one and other track two cases. And I want to quote Clancy Martin. He's a Canadian philosophy prof teaching at the University of Missouri, and he's written extensively about suicide. And he basically says, when people are desperate for relief from torment that we do not understand well enough to effectively treat, giving them the right and the expert medical assistance and that misery is caring for them. And I believe it is. And to like the gentleman I talked to about earlier who, um, who's been suffering from depression and, and complex PTSD for three decades and is in a very, very fragile state and is truly suffering intolerably. Uh, you know, like, could you look him in the eye and say, well, hang on there for just, you know, another two or three years. I'm sure they'll come up with a treatment you haven't tried that uh, that could make the difference. You, you, you can't say that to people like that. No. Yeah. And there are very few people who are at that point. I think most people think that made for mental illness will be for those people who are suffering a mental health crisis and it's not for them. So. Yeah, absolutely. I think a crisis and chronic are very different. One's acute and one's chronic for years. And I think you very good. Yeah, that's exactly it. I think chronic means a long time, long <laughs> not time. going anywhere. <laughs> I also want to talk about how uh, Belgium and the Netherlands actually do have a made for mental illness in place already. And so I'm, I, I would like to ask you, are there differences between Canada and the Netherlands um, and Belgium when it comes to the criteria for made for mental illness? Do you think Canada's criteria might be lacking in some areas or might be better than other areas when it comes to these other countries, just comparing and contrasting? Well, they've been at it for over 20 years. I think 2002, both of them had put legislation allowing assisted suicide. 
Um, their eligibility criteria are similar to ours, but they kind of conflate our eligibility criteria and our safeguards to a certain degree. And I think that the clarity or the distinction in our law, and this is just my opinion, uh, makes me argue that our law is more stringent. Um, we have, because we have so many very clear safeguards that made assessors and providers have to follow once they've decided somebody is eligible. So I like ours better. It, they're clearer, they're more detailed um, in our law. And and I think you may be aware, and in any case, it should be noted that the percentage of assisted deaths for, uh, uh, they call it for psychiatric um, illness or psychiatric, psychiatric reasons in uh, Belgium and the Netherlands is very low. Uh, the one stat I have here is 1.3% of all assisted deaths in the Netherlands in 2020 were for psychiatric reasons. 1.3% is very, very low. And I understand the statistics are similar in Belgium. Wow, that's very small. It's not a big part of it. And, and even in Canada, our most recent stats, you know, even though we started having not reasonably foreseeable deaths uh, in March of 2021, um, for that year still, it was like well over 80%. It's cancer. It's it's people yes. with terminal health, heart conditions, et cetera. So we're not expecting, you know, even though the track two cases will increase, uh, they're never going to be the majority of them. And the percentage of the track two cases that are for mental illness, people with solely suffering from a mental disorder will be even smaller. So 1.3% didn't surprise me at all. Wow. Thank you for that. And so that kind of is a perfect segue into the next point I'd like to talk about because I just watched a video um, and it was it sounded very concerning. And so the conservative MP Ed Fass said that we are moving from a culture of life to a culture of death. And these are extremely strong words. And I'd like to ask you, do you believe that we are moving towards a culture of death as Fass states? I don't know the context in which uh, uh, MP Fast made his comment, but um, in any event, I don't agree with him. Uh, the many people that I know who support assisted dying for those suffering intolerably also support dignity and life. In other words, we want governments to provide more social, financial, and psychosocial supports for all Canadians, and we do not see them as an either-or matter. And uh, you know, poverty is not an eligibility criteria uh, for for MAID, but uh, the person who is also impoverished and maybe is in uh, a health situ physical situation or next year in a mental health situation where they otherwise meet the the eligibility criteria, and it's it's unfortunate that their situations are worsened by a lack of support from government. So, uh, yeah, we all want to see that happen. And but we should continue to expand made in alignment with the courts, Supreme Courts and the Quebec Superior Courts, clear interpretation of our rights to the same under our charter. Well, at the same time, doing more to support Canadian to provide support for Canadians with disabilities and access to care for Canadians with a mental illness. I mean, people should have the same access that I have with my yeah. depression. Uh, 
I want that for people. I agree. But again, it isn't an either or. And the special joint committee actually said that this is the committee that uh, did a parliamentary review of made and reported, tabled their report in February. So it's a group of senators and MPs. And they, um, they actually stated that people with structural vulnerabilities uh, should not be excluded from made on that basis. Specifically, a lack of social supports is a consideration for made assessors under the safeguards, but it does not ultimately determine eligibility for an access to made. Indeed, this would be adding another inequity to an existing one. And I've heard more than one witness before the uh, special joint committee who said that, why would you compound inequities by taking away their human right to made? Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to end by saying MAID practitioners were already following the standards recently published by Health Canada uh, for, for MAID um, in that they assure that MAID is consistent with the applicant's values and goals. They ask them when they're assessing them about their values and beliefs. They ask them why they want MAID. And often this conversation and reflection lead the applicant to try another treatment or seek support that will alleviate their suffering. And so they don't exercise their right to mate in the end. Yeah. So I think that's, that's important to keep in mind when you look at comments like that from Mr. Fast. Absolutely. And just as a final question for you, and I think it, obviously this is very important to talk about, which is mental illness in general. Mental illness and suicide rates continue to climb annually, although we did see a decrease during the pandemic. Do you think that this made for mental illness will help individuals um, with the increases? So do you believe that it'll actually lead to decreases um, in suicide rates? Um, or is the leader of the Conservative Party accurate when he stated that people have lost hope and that we need to focus our efforts and our energy in restoring the hope in people's lives instead of made? I don't know the context of uh, Monsieur Poliev's uh, comment, but I do agree. We do need to, I said it earlier, we do need to do more to support Canadians who do not have access to health care. That includes access to mental health care and access to MAID, which is a health care procedure <laughs> treatment. Um, I do not think that made for those with mental illness will have a notable impact on suicide rates because I understand that suicide, and I'm not an expert in this field, uh, suicides are often crisis or addiction driven. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if we have that 1.3% of all made deaths in Canada uh, attributed to those with uh, a mental illness as their sole, sole underlying condition, um, I really don't think that's going to be a negligible impact on the suicide rates, which I think are about 4,500 a year in Canada. Yeah, so it's if definitely it's definitely the acute crisis is where we need to restore people's hope and provide those uh, supports and resources to individuals, whereas MADE is something separate and the two don't really go together because as you've mentioned previously, MADE is for chronic mental illness and the support systems that we should be providing to, as you said, all Canadians should be those acute and even chronic, um, and we need to provide more resources. And just to end off, do you have anything you would like to add that we haven't mentioned yet, a parting message to our listeners? 
I do, but I want to continue on the on the previous okay. question simply by saying that I look forward to all parties in the next federal election, <laughs> looking particularly at the social, financial, and psychosocial yes. supports we need and putting money where their mouth is, mm -hmm. uh, and making sure that Canadians with disabilities, uh, with disabilities in particular, are those suffering from mental health, particularly youth suffering from mental health. Uh, who probably would not qualify for MAID because they haven't they haven't they haven't suffered for enough years. It hasn't been chronic enough. Uh, they would age out before that. But you just want them to have the help they need. Yeah. And my final message: I thought about this. Uh, could have come up with many different things because I have been informed about what's going on with MAID for many years, including what clinicians are doing as a member of the Canadian Association of MAID uh, Assessors and Providers, which really reassures me that things are unfolding as they should. And I am very respectful of people's fears, but I thought I would close with another quote from Clancy Martin, the philosophy professor who, uh, he was just published in the New York Times, his, his guest opinion last week, and he, he's kind of you no one else has, so. You'll have that link to share with people. But he said, it's true that policymakers, psychiatrists, and medical ethicists must treat requests for euthanasia on psychiatric grounds. This is the kind of language they use in Belgium and the <laughs> Netherlands. Uh, with particular care. We have to treat them with care because we don't understand mental illness as well as we do physical in illness. However, the difficulty of understanding extreme psychological suffering is in fact a reason to endorse a prudent policy of assisted suicide for at least some psychiatric cases. When people are desperate for relief from torment that we do not understand well enough to effectively treat, Giving them the right and the expert medical assistance to end that misery is caring for them, is truly caring for them. Yeah. And, and that just struck me in, in, in a way, because all the people who are against me for mental illness are saying, well, we could probably fix them if we had more time and more research, et cetera. But he's saying that precisely because we don't know how to treat them, we should allow them to have me. So. Thank you so much for speaking to us regarding this topic. Um, I think for me personally, and I, I, I believe a lot of our, reader, our readers, our listeners will feel the same way as I do that. It was very eye-opening. Um, I gained a lot out of listening and a lot of knowledge about this topic that I didn't have before. And I want to thank you. And thank you, Abigail. You've reached the end of this episode with the Trauma and Mental Health Report podcast. Thanks for joining us. Connect with us at trauma.blog.yorku.ca. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and our newsletter to see our latest content. See you in the next episode.